peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zeer, the lyre, the harp, the pipes of all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing fire. That's the declaration from the king. And the king hears that three of his very fine Hebrew young men have refused to do so, so they bring him before the king. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we did not, I'm sorry, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. That may sound a little bit arrogant when you first read that. In other words, they're saying, we've made up our mind. We have a conviction about this, King. We're not going to stand here and argue about it. And they said, if we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, get your pencil or your pen and write this on the neck of somebody in front of you. This is so important. But if he does not... Have you got that? Yeah. God's able to deliver us, but if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the images of gold that you have set up. Come on. Yeah. What, sort of, uh, what sort of faith is that? What sort of foundation is that? What sort of conviction? Our God's able to do it, but if he doesn't, it won't make one scrap of difference. We won't bow to your images. That's called conviction, boldness, and unshakable faith. Help me tonight, I pray, Father, to communicate your word to your people. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that there will be life injected into them in a new capacity. Amen. The intimidating spirit of worshipping an alternative God. There is a spirit in the world, it's been around since Satan was here, there's a spirit in the world that wants to rob us of true worshipping, the true person we should worship, that's the Lord God. I love our songs that praise the name of Jesus. How many of you know that's what we're here for, to praise the name of Jesus? When Jesus was on this planet, he confronted this very spirit of alternate worship when he'd gone on a 40-day fast. Remember, he was coming off the 40-day fast in Matthew 4.8. And Satan said to him, if you will bow and worship me, I will give you all the earth, all the worlds. That's my domain, the prince of the power. I'll give it all to you. How many of you know one of the things that Satan's after is everybody's worship? He wants to deter us and redirect our worship. And it's for us to be smart enough to know that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. Came to kill, steal, and destroy. How many of you know he wants to steal the worship from the Almighty God and put it in other directions? And I'm here to say to us tonight, we are way, we're aware of what he's on and we will not be detracted. We will not be deterred from making God our number one worship point. Jesus is our Savior and we love and worship the blessed Holy Spirit. Do you, do you know you should honour the Holy Spirit as a person? It's not just a thing or a force or an influence. Blessed Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit. We would be nothing without the Holy Spirit. He is the executor of the Godhead on the planet. He does all the work of the Godhead down here. Jesus said, I'm going to my Father, but he's going to send another one, the same kind as myself, and he will be with you and in you. 
the Holy Spirit. So we have this wonderful potential to have a revelation constantly and not be deterred from these things of alternate worship. So some of the golden images today would be secularism. How many of you know secularism is a thinking of replacing or getting God out of him. The parliament want to get him out of there. How about that joker up in Toowoomba, isn't it? Wants to get chaplains out of schools. How many of you know there's a lot of people in our country want to get rid of God out of politics, out of religion, out of religion, out of uh, legislation, out of everything. They want to get rid of God and replace that with humanism. We want to be, they say, we should be God ourselves. We are smart enough to rule and reign in ourselves. Or we mentioned this morning pluralism or consumerism. How many of you know that's another worshipping thing? Some people worship things, a house, a car, a yeah. boat. They worship these things. Now, in themselves, they're not evil, but how many of you know when you love them and when you worship them and when they're the centre of your affection, that's a misdirected worship. Yeah. And Satan would love to do that. Relativisms, hedonism, I don't know what these words are. I read them somewhere. Worldliness, selfishness, pleasure. How many of you know there's... Play, worship yourself. Got to be careful you're not self-worshippers and God wants us to this night, this night to listen to this very carefully. Satan would have us bow down and worship things other than God and we will be people of unshakable faith and will not for that. Now I went to the dictionary, Oxford Dictionary, to define what's unshakable. It was absolutely brilliant in its definition. Not able to be shaken. I thought, how profound is that? <laughs> that guy... That guy, Oxford, whoever did that, he must have been a genius. But I did, because of my skills on the computer, <laughs> which are very limited. Once while Val turns the computer on, I'm ready to go. Free Dictionary says this. Unshakable is marked by firm determination or resolution. Not shakable, firm conviction, steadfast resolve, a man of unbending perseverance. Oh boy, we need a bit of that stuff, don't we, in the church? A person of unbending perseverance. Unshakable does not mean that you're stubbornly or ignorantly disregarding other people's opinions, but it just means you know what you do believe and you have a foundation for your truth that will not be shaken. You see, these three Hebrew boys were not three rednecks just kicking up against the king. These were three handsome Hebrew boys, highly intelligent, highly educated. The scripture tells us that they were educated in the language, the literature, the wisdom and the knowledge of the Babylonians for three years. Three years university, guys, and still come up believing in God. How many of you reckon that's a strong conviction that they can go through that? The Bible also says they were ten times smarter than the king's magicians and enchanters. So we're talking about very intelligent, very respected advisors to the king. And in the setting of who these people are, they said quite clearly, we will not bow to your God. King, you are our king and we respect you, but listen to us carefully. We have a conviction that there is no other God but our God and we will not bow to you, O king. Yeah. Unshakable faith is based on a conviction not on favourable circumstances. Yes. How many of you know everybody is unshakable when everything's going well? Yeah. When things do not go well, how do we know your faith gets shaken? That's yeah. what shakes you up, isn't it? First Thessalonians 1.5 said, 
because our gospel came to you not simply with words but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, Pastor, it comes with deep conviction, you know how to live among, among you for your sakes. You see, that deep conviction gives you living power to live the life that God wants you to live. Yeah. So conviction of God's infallible word is our rock. You got this now? We're drilling down to this rock, and the rock is the infallible Word of God. It's absolute, it's unchanging truth, it's relevant today, it's worth reading for all of its might. Listen, you can never read too much of the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You know, every time you read the Bible, there is a, an infusion of faith in your heart. You can hear it by preaching. Christian television. How many of you know that word coming? Singing. How many of you know when we're singing the word of God, faith is generated in our hearts? And I think we ought to realize that there's incredible power in doing what God wants us to do. Speak God's word. Read God's word. Please hear this. When you're into journaling, and it's been a popular trend of lately, journaling is not how quickly you can read five chapters a day. How many of you know you can read them very quickly and get nothing out of them? It's not a matter of speed reading. Reading the Word to nurture and nourish your soul is listening. Let the Word of God speak to you. Stop when the Holy Spirit draws your attention. Let it feed your spirit. I'm really concerned that journalism can become just a religious activity. Oh, well, I've done my five chapters today. Hallelujah. How many of you know we want to read till it nourishes? Yes. Read till it challenges, make foundation of our life solid on him. Secondly, conviction that had God, I'm sorry, that God would not for, um, forget them, forsake them. These were a couple of guys that really had the belief that they were standing before this king and they had the belief that God would not forsake them. They didn't have this sense, why is all this happening to us, God? We've been faithful to you all these years. Why is this These guys had a conviction what they believed was absolutely truth and they were not standing before this king for any other reason than this king wanted them to worship a false god. These were guys that had a conviction it was not their fault. They were facing the threat of being burned alive and they didn't think they were too narrow-minded. <laughs> How many of you know this is a good one? Oh, well, maybe our religious upbringing has been a bit narrow-minded. Maybe we could compromise. No way in the world. These guys said, we believe what we believe with all of our heart and we will not be deterred. Conviction that this was not victimization. Now, listen to this carefully. If you have a poor me, I shouldn't be exposed to this unfair situation. You know, you've lost a business or you've lost something valuable or your job's at stake and all that, if you start to think that you're a victim, how many of you know you'll spiral down? But if you look around and you see what's happening in the world, you and I realise we don't have many problems. Do you know there's about 150,000 martyrs every year? How many of you can remember seeing those uh, Christians in the Middle East being marched along to be executed by ISIS? They marched along the beach and they're going to have their heads cut off how many of you know, those people don't think that they're victims, they think it's a privilege to die for Christ. How does that compare to wanting to quit on him if you lose your job? 
How does that compare when things are not quite as well you think it is in finances and you go, poor me, this is not fair. God, I've given you my tithes all my life. What are you doing to me? How many of you reckon we need a bit more faith than just crumbling because things are not going exactly the way that we are going? In Acts chapter 4.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Worthy. F.F. Bosworth was an AOG pastor and had a mighty healing ministry. Apparently there was 225,000 letters of recorded miracles in this man's ministry. In 1911, he was preaching to a mixed crowd of African Americans and white Americans and he was attacked by men wielding timber, severely bashing him and hurting him. And they gave him his bags and kicked him out of the town. He walked to the next town to preach. And as he walked, he thanked God he was considered worthy to suffer for preaching the gospel. Yeah. How many of you know this is not a thumb sucker? <laughs> this is not fair. This shouldn't happen to me. Poor victim me. He said, thank you, God, for the wonderful privilege of being considered worthy to suffer for the gospel. Yes. John Wesley, I love the journals of John Wesley, he's riding on his horse one day and suddenly has a realisation that he hasn't been harassed or abused for a while. So he gets off his horse, kneels down and starts to pray, oh God, am I still in your will? Have I done everything I should be doing? Then a great rock comes, boom, and just misses him. He hops on his horse, rides off, says, thank you God, I know I'm in your will. How many of you reckon we'd lose half the church if that happened to us? Wouldn't we? What a wonderful conviction that what you're doing doesn't make you a victim. When the people at your work criticise and make fun of you, how many of you know, thank God you're worthy to be picked upon? Yeah, well, whoever I will. <laughs> a conviction, my faith is not dependent on the favourable circumstances of my life. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we, not, we need not defend ourselves on this matter. This is the end of the argument. We're not opening up for discussion. We're not going to compromise. Our faith is firmly fixed upon our God. And I tell you what, we've got to start getting to a place where we're not dependent upon favourable circumstances only. There's a guy, he's a great man, he's going to be our state conference speaker. His name is Sam Chan. He wrote a book called leadership pain <clears throat> and each chapter is the uh, experience of a pastor or a leader that's had a significant downturn something's happened badly in their life in their marriage with their health and at the end of each chapter he says words like this your capacity to withstand pain will determine the leadership level of your life how many of you know most of us don't like pain? Is there anybody here that would say, honestly, I'm not really into that pain doctrine. I'm not, I'm not into that suffering thing. I want all things that work together for good for them that love God. I'm in this little world of my own where everything... How many of you know, wake up, that's not how life is? Count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. How many of you like that word? <laughs> So you go tomorrow and you lose your job and you come out of the office and hallelujah. We're going to lose the house again and we're going to lose the car and the motorbike and I might have to sell my yacht and my boat. Hallelujah. 
How many of you know most of us would not respond favourably and think it's joyous when trials come across your path? Most of us think, this is not fair. Pay tithes, pray every day, give regularly, work around the church, da-da-da, live the good, clean life. How many of you can easily find that we find ourselves becoming upset because circumstances are not quite suitable to us. And I'm saying to you quite clearly that this is what we have to do. We have to get ready to make the difficulties of our life opportunities for us to find God in ways that we do not know. The disciples were in a boat and the storm came up. You know the story well. And as they're sort of terrified... This ghost, they thought it was a ghost coming towards them. It was Jesus. How many of you know it's very hard to recognize Jesus when you're in a storm? If they were on the shore and they were watching him preaching and feeding the family, they would say, that's Jesus. Now they're in a storm. The image of Jesus coming towards them terrified them and they thought it was a ghost. I want to tell you, I know in my own life, When you're in storms, it's very hard to find Jesus. It's very hard for you and I to go, I know I can see you, Jesus. I know this is a great thing that's happening in my life and I just can't wait to lose everything I've got. It's just fantastic. And we have things like Unexpected things, the marriage failure, the relationship, the sickness is not healed, the loved one that's lost, the child, the spouse, the financial difficulties, employment, business collapse, bankruptcy, job opportunity. Val and I had a coffee shop for 12 years that bellied up in the end. If you've ever been in business where the rent surpasses the income, and the bills get bigger than the income. How many of you know, don't put your hand up, but how many of you know what that's like to get a bill and go, whoa, if this keeps going, I am going to lose things. If this keeps going, I'll have to sell my house, my car, my wife, and everything else that I've got to make this <laughs> transaction. The house and the car, love, would be a real sacrifice. How many of you know... How many of you know what I'm talking about, though? It's easy to say, oh, well, this is nothing, mate. I'm going to lose everything, but it'll be all right. How many of you know the emotional trauma and the the pain of looking at things going bad and feeling like this is the end? And how many of you know what it's like to go, dear God, I've served you for 50 years in the ministry. I've never missed my tithes. I've Work my little fingers to the bone, big fingers to the bone. (laughs) Bony fingers. How many of you know what it's like to feel, where are you, God, when I need you most, and this is not fair? And yet, in the midst of all that, to know that God is still God, and God is still in charge, and God is still with you, even though things are really black. I'm talking now from experience. When you have financial difficulties, it's easy to preach to people, just trust God, it'll all be good. It's very difficult when the bills say you're going out of business and you're going to lose everything you've got. It's very difficult to say, like the psalmist said, oh God, my hope is in you. Oh God, yet will I 
praise you. How many of you know this is when you have a deep-rooted conviction in the person that you are in Christ Jesus? And write this down on your notes. Although you cannot see him does not mean he's not there. Although you may not hear his voice does not mean that he's not speaking. Although his hand seems to be a million miles away, it's ever outstretched towards you. That's the deep conviction we have, church. That's the stuff that keeps us going when we're going through the tough times of life. Oh, I love this man, Job. I don't want to do what he did. I don't want his experiences. But how many of you know, in Job, he lost all of his earthly pleasure, pleasure possessions, his kids, everything. And Job chapter 120, and he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. Naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out, blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of you reckon losing all that, and then coming to the point of saying, blessed be the name of the Lord, in all these things, Job did not accuse God wrongly. Now, I have discovered something about the story of Job, Pastor, that's been a revelation in, in our life since we've gone through this financial thing. In chapter 3, he wishes that he'd never been born. He cursed the day he was born. I'm going, hang on. This joker's just bowing before God in the other chapter, blessing God, blessed be the name of the Lord, though he slay me, here he's going, he's wish he'd never been born. Have a think about this. I think in his spirit, he recognized God was still God. When he'd heard all that news, he got on his knees and worshipped God. His body is going through racking pain. He's got, he's got boils all over him. How many of you know pain knocks you around? When you're sick, it's hard to be very, very positive and spiritual. Isn't that the truth? He's going through all this, and then next chapter, wish you'd never been born. And I've come to this conclusion, have a think about it, that we can have a spirit part of us that recognises God is still God, but our emotions and our physical and our mental attitude can often try and rob us of what we know is to be true. And those of us here tonight that know what I'm talking about, when you know that you're rooted deep down in this conviction that God's able to deliver you, but even if he doesn't, even if you lose your house, even if you lose all that you've got financially, you're still going to say, God, you're still God, and I won't bow to what the enemy wants me to bow, and you will be my God forever. How many of you know we need a bit of that sort of stuff in our churches today? that is not subject to everything being right. It's not subject to everything being timed properly. Did you notice here the Hebrew boys did not ask for a time extension? Hang on, kings, can we go home? King Nebuchadnezzar, can we go home and discuss this? These guys had such a deep conviction. Time was not the issue. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus. Lazarus is sick, Jesus. Can you get here quick? And he deliberately delayed going to see Lazarus. Do you remember the story? And Lazarus died. And when he came along eventually, Mary and Martha both said, 21 and verse 32, if you'd have been here, my brother had not have died. How many of us here could agree with that thing in your life? You prayed for something and it didn't happen. You had your house on the market when it was a good market and it never sold. It got 
Now it's worth half the price. How many of you know what it's like to believe that God's late in the intervention of your life? Can I tell you from this story, God's timing is always perfect. It may not look good to us in his timing, but our God is perfect in his timing. And some of you need to hear this tonight. You might think, well, God's forgotten you. Well, Jesus, why didn't you come straight away? Isn't this important to you? Have you forgotten me? Have you got something else to do that's more important? I want you to know the God that loves you, he's got his arms around about you, he's got you perfectly in his will, and what he wants you to do is, like these boys, have an absolute confidence that Jesus is not going to let you down. The Hebrews of chapter 11, how many of you know we all preach on the great Hebrews of uh, great heroes of Hebrews chapters 1 to 34. The only trouble is we don't talk about the ones from 35 to 39. Some of them were sawn asunder, lived in caves, escaped. How many of you know they too died in faith? Yes. Now, I'm not preaching, you know, ask God to put you in a cave and get you sawn in sunder so that you can rejoice. I'm not preaching that. I'm just saying that it's not all a bowl of cherries. See, when you get to this age, you start to realize that some of the stuff that we preached when we were 30 years of age doesn't quite work when you're your age, mate, particularly. And the good thing is you can't remember it, his age, so it's not so bad. But how many of you know, when you get a bit of maturity of years on, you realize that there are tough times come to Christians. And you and I have got to be the sort of people that have got this thing that we're unshakable in our faith, that we do not believe in any way whatsoever that God is going to let us down unshakable faith subjugates time and circumstances under the sovereignty of God. Unshakable faith bows and serves and worships only the true Lord God Almighty. Third and final point, unshakable faith is not intimidated by manipulating and bullying voices or music. Could you imagine this, King? I'm going to play this music again. We've got Lady Gaga and Eminem here, and when the music plays, you boys will bow. And if you know, intimidating voices, intimidating music can affect us. People of power, kings, politicians, teachers, spouses, bosses, neighbours. How many of you know when people have an authority about them, they can intimidate us, and we too must be bold and decisive against them? you know that in Australia, we lose 70% of our young people from church when they leave school? We have a higher loss than the UK and America in our young people when they leave school. Why is that happening? Well, I'm suggesting to you that we are now one of the most recognised as one of the most secular nations in the West. Australia is one of the most secular nations. And we've got to get the message out, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to give our young people an unshakable faith in their youth. We've, we've got to give them positive things that are going to happen. But how many of you know we've got to tell our young people it won't all be a bowl of cherries. Things will go wrong sometimes and you've got to put your roots down in God. We need to have our young people have a great ministry in the evidence of the Holy Spirit. We need to give them good apologetics. We need to give them a good, strong moral fibre. We need to give them peer support when our kids are going through tough times and we need good, strong, mature examples in our church. Nothing better than for a young man to see a good, strong bloke worshipping God. Is there? That's a wonderful thing for a young man to say, wow, look at him. 
big, strong bloke. Worshipping God, that's my hero. Peer group pressure to bow. Everybody else bows, so you better bow. How many of you know when a whole nation's bowing and you're the three guys standing and the guy says, I'm going to give you a second chance. How many of you know the peer group, everybody's doing it. That's right. Everybody's doing it. Like you kids, you know the young people at school today, if they're still virgins at 15 and 16 years of age, there's something wrong with them. What do you mean you haven't been drunk or tasted of drugs? What's wrong with you? How many of you know the peer pressure is enormous on kids today? But hear this, when you've got your foundation rooted in you know who you are and who God is, you will not be moved and your faith will not be shaken. You put them down and you keep them down and you won't let those things come and shake you out of what you believe in God. The peer pressure is one thing, but how many of you know that we've got another great pressure in our world today called the media? The media is an incredible pressure. The pressure for us to do what the media suggests very subtly for us to do. Uh, you know, I'm a bit of, a, bit of a, an addict to this sort of stuff because it's so popular. I read a book many years ago called the Hidden Persuaders by Vance Packard. It's an old book. But in it, he taught about the scientific study of how advertising sublimely, sublimely programs you to buy certain things, the colours and the presentation. Have you ever noticed a lot of the ads, you can't make sense out of them? Most of them, Val and I, can't make sense of What is that all about? But there is a subtle play in the ad that makes certain parts of your brain go, oh, gee, that was interesting. Oh, I'll look at that again. How many of you know we're in, a, we're in a world of manipulation, of changing not only of what we buy, I couldn't care less what you buy, McDonald's or a KFC, you buy whatever you like, but the bigger thing that I'm talking about is the, the morality change. Do you know in 2003, in this country, we had a series called The Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. It was about five gay men and their superiority in fashion style, grooming and interior designing. The long running 2004 to 2009 was a TV series called The L Word. It was about the lives and love of lesbian and bisexuals in Los Angeles. The now running The Modern Family been going seven seasons. Now, some of you might watch that and you're going to go, oh, gee, you're critical of everything, mate. Well, I actually went to a church where the pastor said, one of my people said, you look like the bloke who's the father in the modern family. <laughs> so I thought, I've got to look at this joker. Nothing like me. I'm tall, dark and handsome. He's fat, bald and ugly. Anyway, <laughs> what I did notice is there's two gay men that have adopted a Vietnamese daughter. How many of you know, if you sit there for seven years and watch that every night, what would have been an offence the first time or the second time you saw it, after a while, it would become acceptable. You know the frog in the kettle? You know the frog in the kettle? How come that we are now facing a nation that may bring in same-sex marriage? Has that happened just overnight? No, it's been the slow manipulation... The music's been playing. The music's been playing. And how many of you know, while the music's playing, we subtly laugh away a moral value that we have. 
I used to look to watch that movie Two and a Half Men. This bloke's a sexual maniac. All he ever does is hop in and out of bed with other women. We had to stop watching because the subtleness of what's going on there. How many of you know a lot of these programs we laugh at, and please don't call me a prude and old-fashioned and out of date. I'm telling you, the music's playing in order to pull down the walls of your moral fibre and your compass and get you to worship the God of this world the prince of the power of the air, instead of worshipping the God that we love and worship so sincerely. <clears throat> they call those things mockumentaries. They call them mockumentaries because they make fun of things, but they're so powerful and the subtle humour that they bring across and the king may have roared and said, you will, and if you don't, you'll die. I'd love to think that I'm talking to a bunch of people that go like this. You can roar all you like. You can make it as attractive as you like. We will not bow. Come on. We will not be subjugated to the snares of the enemy that's trying to change us in the day in which we live. And parents, I'd like to suggest to you, speak over your family. Speak over your kids. There's going to be parents here with kids are off the road. Would you please hear this? We want to pray, oh God, raise up in our church our kids that survive their teen years still knowing God, yes. still serving God, still going on with God. Val and I had a, a son still got him actually, had a son <laughs> that went off the rails. I mean, went off the rails. When Christians go bad, how many of you know they go goodly bad? They do the best they possibly can at going bad. And uh, this little lady used to cry regularly about our son. The good news, I'll get to a straight to the story, the good news that he, some 16 years later, came back to God and he's now in the ministry. That's the good news. But how many of you know, in the 16 years, that's not good news? And if you focus on the behaviour, your faith will be shaken. Get that? If you focus on the behaviour, your faith will be shaken. If your faith is in God's promise in your heart, how many of you know we will not bow? How many of you know where feet are rooted deeply upon the Word of God? All your children shall be taught of the Lord. The word, the seed of God is in their hearts. Yep, they may go off the rails. They may try some things that they've been wanting to do and you wouldn't let them do them and they go out there and do them. But hear me, hear me tonight. Keep your faith on what God has promised you, not on their behaviour, and keep loving them. Don't preach at them. They already know they're not doing the right thing. I mean, if you know, they don't need sermons. They need you to tell them that you love them for who they are and just who they are is what really counts. If you come back to church, we'll love you again. Yeah, that'll really bring them back. You know, start reading your Bible again and we'll see things differently. And I'm here tonight because this thing really burns in my heart that the churches have got to come to a place of strength 
that is unshakable in God, that we believe God for miracles, that we can believe that a generation can pull through what's happening in the invasion in the spiritual realm. How many of you know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? I don't want to get spooky over you, but how many of you know the story in Daniel 10 about that, um, that Michael was bringing the message for Daniel's prayer about how long they'd be in captivity? And while, I'm sorry, Gabriel's bringing the message, and while he's coming down, the prince of Persia, a spiritual power, an intellectual power, confronted with him and stopped him coming. And they had to call on Michael, the archangel, to come and rescue Gabriel to bring the message. How many of you know this isn't Batman and Robin stuff? This isn't fairy tale stuff. This is real. And this nation's in a battle. And we need men and women and young people of unshakable faith that will stand up and say, God, we will stand for what's right and truth and just in your eyes. We will not bow to the contamination of this world. We will be pure in your sight and walk with you to the best of our ability in holiness. Oh dear, there's a word, there's a word. I think I better quit. How many of you are with me? How many of you understand what I'm saying? King Nebuchadnezzar, respectfully, mate, this is not even a point of argument. We will not bow. And if you think you can burn us, our God's able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we still will not bow. That's the church I'm asking for. Let's pray. What a heavy word that was, mate. You'll be glad to get home. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was saying hallelujah then. <laughs> Father, here tonight are men and women and young people who love you with all of their hearts. None of us here are perfect, Lord. We don't claim to be perfect. But our heart's desire is that we would catch the spirit of these three Hebrew boys. That no matter what happens in the manipulation around us, our peer groups, our media influence, people who become heroes in our culture, but are not really the sort of images we want to follow. We pray that we would be men and women that would stand up and say, we will not bow, we will not bow to the spirit of this age. We will bow only to the Lord Jesus Christ and we will worship him alone. I'm asking that this church and you pastors, I pray for this really deeply. I pray that this church will be a lighthouse that shines in the midst of darkness, that gives people a moral compass where to go, that the young people of this society will know that there's a good group of people that believe that what God said is true and they want to follow that. And I pray that this will be like a lighthouse that shines increasingly over your areas over here. May people come and run to the light. May they want to be drawn like moths to the light of what God has given you and God has put in your hearts. I pray this not only for the young people, I speak it prophetically over this church, to be lights that shine in darkness, 
that lights boldly proclaiming who Christ is and what Christ wants to do. I am praying for men and women like we've heard tonight. They'll be prepared to write letters and say, we don't like what's happening in this area of abortion. They will be lights shining in darkness. They'll be salt in a world that's going corrupt. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, come upon us as a group of people and bring to us great conviction of your word, greater than all of the words and influences of the outside. We pray that we'll have a deep conviction in Christ Jesus. I'm praying that for his glory. Would you please stand? I'd like to finish a meeting off with uh, my hands raised like this, and I'm going to pray a prayer over you. Holy Spirit of God, come upon your church. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Bring conviction. Bring conviction upon us, O God, that what we have cannot be compromised. Bring conviction upon us, O God, that we are called to be light. We're called to be different. We're called to be the church, the ecclesia, the ones called out, that we are to stand out and be Christ. We don't want to merge and be like those around about us. We want to be men and women and young people that stand out in the darkness and proclaim Christ is the light of the world. Holy Spirit, would you please come upon this church and start a fresh work of invigorating them to stand up and testify about Christ, to speak your word, to not be ashamed of the gospel, boldly proclaim who and what you are and what you stand for. May they be people whose hands become your hands reaching out, praying for, touching people that are in need. May they become your voice into those that know nothing about what they should do or where they should be going. May they become, oh God, your love poured out upon those that know nothing but abuse, who've had nothing but hurt and pain and sorrow. May this church be the voice of God's love demonstrated into this community. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, you'll come upon us in a fresh wave of compassion for the lost, that we will see those people like you see them, that our hearts will be stirred like your heart, Jesus, was stirred with compassion when you saw those people like sheep without a shepherd. Oh God, come upon us in a mighty way, I pray. In the name of Jesus, bring forth the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of life, the fruits of godliness. May we see the church rising out of the darkness. May she rise in light and power and authority. May there come upon this church, particularly, oh God, voices of power, hands of power, hearts of love, overwhelming that power of darkness. And may we, like those three Hebrew boys, say, oh God, we will not bow, but we will set an example of your godliness to our nation. Oh Father, I pray that in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.